Welcome to another episode of the Feral Human Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Smith. Happy new moon as I sit here on this snowy May morning. Today, I'm going to really push into a hot button topic and talk about whether or not plant-based diets really are better for the environment. Before I kick into this, for those of you who are vegan, then I support you. I feel like everybody out there can pick their own diet. You eat however you like. It's none of my business. I am not vegan. My girlfriend is vegan. Now, since I'm talking about agriculture and the environment, I would just like to let you know that I do have a permaculture design certificate from Jeff Lawton, and I've been following regenerative agriculture uh, information techniques, stories, uh, for about 15 years now, probably 15 years, something around there. So I would not consider myself an expert in this field, but it has been a topic of interest for me for quite some time. You may hear the ferrets running around back there. They're both up and about, crunching and munching and scratching, so I'm sorry if that's distracting in the background, but we're going to push on here. So, plant-based, will it save the environment? As it is being pushed, as an agriculture is being practiced, I don't see any way that switching to plant-based will be any better than basically the standard American diet. And the reason for that is that the the way that plant-based diets are being pushed is basically heavily reliant on industrial ac- oops the way that plant-based diets are being pushed is heavily reliant on industrial agriculture. And there are tons and tons of problems with the way we practice agriculture in the modern world. Not the least of which which is I mean if we're totally honest about the only reason we can probably grow food with any reliability anymore on the scale that we do is because of adjuncts like fertilizer and herbicide and pesticides and fungicides, because we've ruined the soil to the point where very little will grow on it without basically coaxing everything we can out of it. We have a major problem of losing topsoil. And it largely comes from tilling and leaving bare earth. And then every time it rains, topsoil washes away. Now, the problem is, and I pulled this up from the USDA website, it takes about 500 years to make an inch of topsoil naturally. And we are losing topsoil at a rate of almost 20 times that. So we're losing topsoil much, much faster than we are creating it. And once there's no topsoil, there's no food. In fact, if you look at many of the great deserts in the world, they were at one time a seat of civilization. And it is believed that agriculture is what ruined the soil there in many of those cases. And now they are deserts, essentially. So why... Is it believed that plant-based will be better for the environment than raising livestock? Basically switching everyone to an all-plant diet. Why will that save the environment? And the leading push for this is really carbon emissions. And then second to that is the resource cost and land cost. We'll just call it resource cost of raising livestock. 
Now, part of the problem with the CO2 emission idea is that it only works when livestock isn't eating grass on natural pastures because that whole system is largely a closed loop when animals are grazing naturally. Soil bacteria basically lock up a lot of the carbon dioxide that those critters uh, expel and make it pretty much a balanced equation. So animals in feedlots eating grain are outside of that loop and then they emit more carbon emissions than their more native natural grazers would. So I agree that raising animals in feedlots is not good. I do not support it. I do my very best to not buy meat from those places. Obviously it's sometimes challenging to do, but you do the best you can. The problem then is not the raising of livestock. It's the way we raise livestock. In fact, grasslands evolved to live in concert with large herds of grazers. Grasslands can't be healthy without large herds of grazers. When the Europeans first arrived in North America, there were millions and millions and millions of bison. The highest estimations I've heard are in the 30 to 60 million individual animal range. That, I believe, is probably around the number of cows that are in the U.S. right now. I remember reading that some time ago. If I'm wrong, I'm mistaken. Please correct me. But anyway, 30 to 60 million bison. And the grasslands supported that, obviously, because they weren't failing. They were very healthy when the Europeans arrived. To highlight how important it is for grasslands to have grazers on them, many grass seeds will not germinate well unless they have passed through the digestive system of a ruminant. Grass seeds are designed to be eaten before they sprout, sort of like sequoias sprout after wildfires. These are the intricate details of an environment that we tend to overlook in our large myopic view of the way environments work. All of these things are interconnected and rely on each other to be healthy. Uh, another one of the things that people complain about with livestock is clearing forests. And I don't entirely understand how this gets leveled as something against livestock because lots of forests are leveled for monocrops. I don't, I don't see how one is worse than the other. If you're tearing down forests, you're tearing down forests. So as far as I'm concerned, industrial agriculture is guilty no matter what they're producing of this one. So deforestation, I don't think is unique to livestock raising. It happens plenty with growing crops. And then the last little, the last complaint that I want to address here is it takes lots of water to raise livestock. But this again is a very short-sighted look at how things work. If you give the water to the cows, the water is not gone. The water comes back out of the cow as either urine or manure, both of which are better for the grasslands than just plain water. Urine, because it's high in nitrogen and works as a fertilizer, and manure, because it's high in mostly composted grass clippings, 
now ready to germinate seeds, and also bacteria that's beneficial to the soil. So water going through a cow is better than water just being put on a, a field. These things were designed to work together. So the water is not gone. It is returned to the grasslands. That's also not to say that many of these crops we grow are not irrigated. Much of that water simply evaporates off. It is not the same as passing through a herd of grazers. All right, so let's look at plant-based as it's being pushed and some of the problems that still exist environmentally with a plant-based diet if everybody magically switched over to plant-based overnight. As I mentioned before, it's highly dependent on industrial agriculture. One of the problems I have with the way plant-based is being pushed now is that it's being pushed through meat substitutes. And I'll get into that a little bit, but there's a big difference between eating fruits and vegetables and nuts and eating food products that are created in a lab to simulate a different kind of food. There are a lot of concerns I have with that that I'll address further down in, in the program, but I just want to touch on that real quick before I go into this. So the first problem, and I want to cover real quick the different kinds of systems there are. There is an extractive system, a sustainable system, and a regenerative system. These aren't specific to agriculture. These are, these are system styles, um, levels of resource requirement in a system. And you hear them talked about the most in agriculture, so that's how we're going to apply them. First, you have extractive agriculture, which is basically what we practice now. We take more out than we put in. In fact, we've taken out so much now that if we don't externally add in, nothing will come out of it. You'll grow essentially just weeds. You're not going to grow very much food in our current croplands without industrial fertilizer. Then next level up, you have sustainable, which is a balanced equation. This should be the minimum goal for agriculture. If you're taking food out and gradually making the system worse, eventually the system will fall apart and then you have no more food. So at a bare minimum, you should be practicing sustainable agriculture. That's where you can continue to produce this amount of food indefinitely and you it the system won't exhaust itself. And then last which is the gold standard, would be regenerative agriculture. And that's where the system produces uh, food and also improves over time and be can become more productive over time. And there are more and more farmers starting to uh, produce this way, which kudos to them. We need a lot more of it because if we're going to dig ourselves out of our hole, then we really need a lot of regenerative agriculture. It needs to become the goal of everyone farming really. So those are the three different tiers basically of agricultural systems. Now I've already covered that we are in an extractive system by and large. Our industrial food system is extractive and a lot of this started, well, we had problems with it before, but it really, the pedal got put to the floor in the sixties and seventies when the USDA promoted basically go big or go home. And they eliminated the small farms and went with just massive swaths of monoculture. Monoculture is where a single crop is planted over a large area. And I'm talking 
not like a couple acres. I'm talking often hundreds or thousands of acres, massive areas planted in a single crop. And there are environmental problems with this as well as uh, security problems with this. From the security standpoint, if you have huge areas with a single crop on it and some of your crop gets sick, more than likely the rest of your crop will get sick. There is no redundancy. There's no alternatives. If corn has a bad year, the whole region of corn has a bad year. It's not just a, you know, a patch here and a patch there. It's just the corn is gone and things like that can be catastrophic. We saw in during the COVID lockdowns, when supply trains chains got restricted, how quickly food can run out at the grocery stores when there isn't stuff coming in. And if you had a whole season where corn was not produced, I don't think most people realize how much stuff, how much of our agriculture economy runs on corn. It would be catastrophic. The other problem with monocultures is that they don't provide much habitat or food for surrounding wildlife. So if you have, you know, thousands of acres of corn with like tiny, tiny little strips of woods in between massive fields, there's not very much for animals to eat when the corn is out of season. Everything has been stripped out. There's no more wild flowers. There's no more wild fruit. There's no more tubers. There's no more weeds. There's fewer bugs because there's less to eat. So the diversity of wildlife goes way, way down because there's nowhere for them to live and there's nothing for them to eat. And this, this is a major problem given the huge levels of extinction we're seeing right now. These huge monocultures don't do anything environmentally to support habitat for ecosystems. The other, the other problem is that the constant tilling kills massive amounts of burrowing animals and ground nesting birds during the tilling. So every year when the ground is tilled, it's not like they go through and wave everyone out. Just everything gets tilled over. And the tilling has multiple problems. One, the way tilling produces more fertility is that when you turn the soil over, you expose an, an uncountable number of bacteria to oxygen which immediately kills them. And then when they die and start to break down, that's what adds fertility to the the new ground, the fresh ground that you're about to plant into. This was mitigated in the past by allowing fields to lay fallow. You'd plant a cover crop on it and, you know, one year you wouldn't plant anything there so the ground could recover. With the advent of fertilizers, we stopped doing that because food kept coming out when you added fertilizer. The problem is, is that the soil microbiome never gets a break and never gets a chance to recover. So you're just constantly destroying the soil. And recently, I also saw that the massive die-off of bacteria creates a massive release of carbon dioxide every year when all the tilling goes on. So... All that carbon dioxide that everybody freaks out about that's been sequestered in the soil is now released back into the soil in a, in a massive wave. So if you're concerned about carbon dioxide, greenhouse gas emissions, you should be researching no-till methods. It's better for the grasslands and it's also better for the greenhouse gas emissions. Now here, not too terribly long ago in agricultural history, 
Monsanto and glyphosate hit the scene, and now we have GMO crops. And this made life easier for the farmers because you could spray the entire field with herbicide and the crops still grow. The crops grow, but the crops aren't the same. The way glyphosate works is it blocks the absorption of certain minerals that the plant usually needs to survive. The GMO crops basically have had this need for those minerals turned off. So the, the crops are still deficient in these minerals, but they grow anyway. So you're essentially growing diseased crops. You're growing less healthy crops. They look like regular crops, but they nutritionally, they're not the same as regular crops because that's how glyphosate works. And because these plants are immune to it, we just dump tons of pesticides on our, on our crops now. We dump tons of herbicides on our crops now. And all that leaches into the soil and it leaches into the food. So we're eating massive amounts of toxins that just slowly bioaccumulate it in us. And we still don't know what the long-term effects of this are going to be because it hasn't been in the environment long enough. Just like we don't know what the long-term effects of GMO crops are. Maybe nothing, but we don't know. They're too new. We haven't seen how they interact with the environment long enough. So it's kind of like a big experiment where the whole world is, is being subject to. And the last way that this monoculture industrial farming system is not sustainable is that it is eliminated local farms by and large. Everything is shipped very large distances all around the globe. It's not just within the country anymore. It's the food comes from around the globe and that's heavily reliant on fossil fuels and distribution. And it alters the types of produce that we grow. The primary concern for a produce grower is will the produce survive the shipment rather than is this a good nutritional food? If it doesn't make it to market, the farmer makes no money. So that's got to be the first concern. So in a nutshell, my big concern with the plant-based push is that it's just changing the plants and it's not changing the system in which food is produced. The system in which we are producing food will run out and it could run out relatively soon the way we're losing topsoil. I pulled up an article from the Scientific American from December of 2014. And while it is kind of one of those, oh my God, oh my God, the sky is falling headlines, um, which I'm not really a fan of. The headline states, only 60 years of farming left if soil degradation continues. Generating three centimeters of topsoil takes a thousand years. And if current rates of degradation continue, all the world's topsoil could be gone within 60 years, a senior UN official said. So even if, if they're, you know, really, really blowing this out of proportion and they're off by 50%, say it's 120 years, your great grandkids could see the end of food production on earth if their calculations are correct. So think about that for just a second. Um, when you're thinking about our industrial food system. Now you may be wondering what all of this has to do with going feral. And the biggest thing that I see that's concerning for me is rather than just pushing for a plant-based diet, they're trying to substitute out meat with alternative meats, alternative meat products. And 
when it comes to meat alternatives like tempeh and seitan, they're much more naturally produced, especially like tempeh, which is one of the few ways of fermenting soy that eliminates a lot of the toxins. It's actually pretty tasty. My girlfriend's vegan. I've had it a few times. These meat-based alternatives are patented food products. That means if this fantasy company, AgriFood, makes a beef patty out of, we'll say, corn, and they patent the process, that means nobody but them can make it. They are the only ones who can produce that patty. It means they can charge whatever they want. There is no one else who can produce anything else similar to it without getting sued or shut down. It is a, if you have everybody on a plant-based diet and you manage to have a business with a patented product that is a staple of that business, you pretty much have the corner on the food market. It's very concerning in that it takes a lot of you and I's ability to be food independent away if we're reliant on patented food products. I have a lot of concern over the way these things are produced. I don't tend to trust food that has to be cooked up in a lab. I mean, I'm a hunter, so I've made plenty of deer burger. It's real easy to do. It doesn't take very long, and I don't need special equipment to do it. A lot of these food products, you need very special equipment, chemicals, processes that are all proprietary and trade secret. So a lot of this stuff, we don't even actually know what's really going into it because the process is a trade secret. Like I said before, if you want to be vegan, be vegan. I support you 100%. But my opinion is that I would avoid all of these fake replacement products and eat fruits, vegetables, and nuts. If you don't want to be vegan, I would still recommend you eat a lot of fruit, vegetables, and nuts, and also good quality sources of protein. Don't forget, every time you go to the grocery store and you purchase a product, you are voting with your dollars. I do my very best to buy from regenerative uh, farming situations when I buy meat. I do not support uh, CAFOs. I, I think it's absolutely disgusting what those animals are subjected to. And I do my very best to not support them financially. But wrapping up here, I do not think that switching to a plant-based diet will have any environmental effect whatsoever. I think the problem is with the way we produce food. It's not what we're eating. I think one of the best things you can do is start producing some of your own food. Jeff Lawton likes to say all the world's problems can be solved in a garden. And I think in every way I can think of off the top of my head, he's probably right. So start producing some of your own food. Fruit trees, you plant them once and then you keep getting fruit. Look into perennial, perennial vegetables. Uh, they make life a lot easier. Same way as fruit trees. Plant them once, you keep getting. I don't Take up hunting, take up fishing. Start producing some small-scale uh, livestock chickens for eggs or maybe rabbits for meat uh, quail are a great way to break into that I've looked at that and that's on my list of things to experiment with but start taking back some of your 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 own responsibility be responsible for yourself and pre- procuring your own food your health will thank you 
the world will thank you. And if we all just do a little bit more to look out for ourselves, everyone else will be a little better off. That's all I got for you today. Uh, If you have comments, feel free to hit me up. My website, benjaminsmith.com, B-E-N-J-A-M-Y-N. You can email me. My phone number to text is on there. Or uh, check out my YouTube channel. Find me on Instagram. All those links there are at my website. I wish you happy new adventures for the new moon. And until next time, go feral.